Professor Schneider, work has focused on law and on legal and civil society issues. And one of the really, I think, exciting strengths of her work is that she works across historical periods from the formative period following Islam's founding to the present. And this gives her work a great deal of historical depth and breadth. She's been involved in numerous collaborative research projects on Sharia and on civil society. And she's engaged in addition in work on Sharia in Germany, Iran, and Indonesia. Her work consistently puts gender at the center of legal, historical, and social analysis. And her many publications attest to that. I can't possibly give you a full list. She's published many, many monographs, collected volumes, as well as articles. And she publishes in German, French, English, and Farsi. One book of her many that I do want to mention is her very useful work from, I believe, 2012, Women in the Islamic World from the Earliest Times to the Arab Spring, which is an incredibly useful source book. Since 2013, Professor Schneider has focused in particular on Palestine in her research and her teaching. And she's had an ongoing collaboration with Al-Quds University. Her recent book is the outcome of this work. It was published last year by Brill, and it's entitled Debating the Law, Creating Gender, Sharia, and Lawmaking in Palestine, 2012 to 2018. The book focuses on Palestine's vibrant and also at times contentious civil society, the educational infrastructure, and the many elements that go into lawmaking in Palestine and, and really takes Palestinian society on its own terms while never losing sight of the fact that all of this is happening in conditions of political occupation. Today, she's going to tell us more about that research and her talk is entitled Debating the Law, Creating Gender. So welcome, Professor Schneider, and over to you. Thank you very much for this kind introduction, dear Marilyn, and thank you very much for inviting me today and for this opportunity to present my book and to discuss it uh, with you. I think I should now try to share my screen. Can everybody see the screen? Okay. Yes, this is my new book, and I'll say something about the background of it, how I started to work on this topic, and then, of course, try to explain to you my research focus and my methods. And yes, I hope I can provoke a discussion about my topics and my results. I came to Palestine in 2013 to continue my research on law in context, legal culture, and the question how legal discussion discussions become or do not become law. And of course, always how gender is constructed in this context during these, these debates and discussions. Now, when I came to Palestine, I realized that there was a prominent legal discourse on Holeh divorce, divorce on redemption. And the background was a special problem in Palestine, which might also not be so special to Palestine, at least in, uh, in Jordan, for example, you have same uh, debates or same problems. The background was a social problem. According to Palestinian custom, young women and men sign a marriage contract at the time of their engagement, but have not yet held their wedding party. That means the consummation of the marriage. So with their signature, the marriage is already established under law. And the applicable law in, in Palestine, in the West Bank at least, is the Jordanian law of personal status from 1976. And being established like this, it can only be ended by a divorce. 
Many young women now face the problem finding out that their partners were not such a match as they imagined before. Young men disappeared or when asked to uh, refuse, uh, they refused to dissolve the marriage. So there was no possibility for the women to get out of this marriage. They didn't get the, get the talaq. And in, it was in this situation that a new ruling given by the Supreme Judge, Qadi al-Qudat, Yusuf et Is, gave women the right to divorce against the husband's wish, or even when he was absent, when he had left the country, to divorce by redemption, but only before consummation of marriage. It was implemented in the Sharia courts and is since then applied there. But uh, the discussion about this new ruling was very controversial and it lasted for some time, from 2012 roughly to 2014. It was a lively discussion, as I said, about this new ruling. People knew about it, journals reported, there were TV programs about it, discussions in, in TV. So it was in everybody's mouth. As I returned more often during the next years, I realized that the discourse changed and was since around 2014 now replaced by another discourse about how international law could be harmonized with Islamic law, Sharia. At this time, and this is of course the background, President Abbas had signed many international conventions, among them CEDAW, the Women's Convention, and without, by the way, Tafuzat in, in Arabic, without uh, any reservation. This I became interested in comparing these two phases because I think it was quite important to look at, at these debates on the longer term. And I wanted to understand how these debates developed and to understand the logic and find out when do topics change and how legal discussions become or do not become law, if they do. It was only later when I read uh, Sheila Ben Habib's concept of iterations, which I read and thought that's exactly what I do. She argues in her book, democratic iterations are such linguistic, legal, cultural and political repetitions in transformation, invocations, which are revocations. They not only change established understandings, but also transform what passes as the valid or established view of an authoritative president, end of quote. And second quote, which I found interesting in her book was the following Jewish generative politics, that means becoming law, uh, refers to iterative acts through which a democratic people that considers itself bound by certain guiding norms and principles, reappropriates and reinterprets these, thus showing itself to be not only the subject, but also the author of the laws. This is my, the, the italics are for me. However, Ben Habib deals with uh, these iterations in the context of European societies and how they deal with migrants. This was her topic where migrants come into the European states and their human rights. She dealt with the scarf debate in France and so on and so forth. She never went into linguistic details as I do, but I'm quite sure that I could use this as a starting point for my research. I had, for example, already seen that Pol the word for um, divorce and redemption, the wording for it, the terms changed during the discourse. It became now khul qada'i, that means judicial khul, that means khul in, in, the, in the court. And it was differentiated from classical khul, as it was before the classical law, by the word khul rida'i, that means khul based on consent of husband and wife. And later on, it also, I'll explain this, uh, entered the stage of iftida, that means redemption. 
So I focused in the years to come on discussions, not only on a social level, but also on terminology, terms, repetitions in transformations to find out how jurist generative politics to speak with uh, Shaila Ben-Habib happen. And I included, of course, uh, special uh, gendered language. So my argument is public debates, iterations, as Shaila Ben-Habib calls them, cannot be properly understood without taking into consideration the development of certain legal terms, repetitions in transformation, occurring in these debates or iterations. And my research questions were now, how are legal reforms initiated, formulated and implemented or not implemented? Who bells the cat? As they told me in Palestine. So I had an interview with Hassan Al-Ori, who is a, a legal advisor or was a legal advisor to Abbas. And I asked him who should be the person to initiate these discourses. And of course, he said it should be the state. It should be us. And he quoted this bells the cat. But in the end of the day, we'll see that uh, in this case, at least, or at least in the first full question, it was not the state who belled the cat. And of course, I always connected the question which gender models and gender roles are discussed and put forward by whom, and where is it uh, situated between gender hierarchy on one side and gender equality on the other side. I used a mixture of sources, texts, of course, international conventions, laws, very old laws as we often have in the West Bank, draft laws, regulations, as we have the one from Qadil Qudat with the Hull law, Hull regulation, a ruling, not law, <laughs> court decisions, but more from the Supreme Court and textbooks. I use also media or used also media texts and discussions and websites. I also included the Supreme Judge's lecture in winter semester 2013 in Brissette University, which I had the chance to visit and which I found very interesting because he in his course about personal status law, the course was in personal status law, how he tried to reinterpret the personal status law and how he very much focused on Islamic law. Of course, always saying that what the judge has to, to use is the applicable law. And of course, with regard to Hull, the lesson which he taught to Hull, it was full of his experience with uh, creating the new, new Hull ruling. I had also interviews with experts. So, who are the main actors? If you want to try to understand public debates or iterations, you have mainly three actors. Uh, this is the state, Ministry of Justice, Ministry of Women's Affairs. Also, I forgot got to add here the Ministry of Foreign Affairs for the international relation question, the Sharia establishment and civil society. This is very rough and I'm very aware that, that you have a lot of interferences between these groups. So these groups are not homogeneous, and we can perhaps talk about this later in the, in the discussion. Uh, I'm well aware of this. Just now to give you a bit in impression with whom I held interviews, it was with Rabihat Ziyad. She was Minister of Women's Affairs between 2009 and 14, And then after her, Haifa Al-Ara between 2014 and 19. Then these, are, these gentlemen are the two Qadi Al-Qudats, means the two supreme judges. Yusuf at Ayes between 2012 and 14, he was the one who issued the ruling, and Mahmoud Habash since 2014, he's still in his position. So this is another person, this is our uh, female Sharia uh, judges whom we have in the West Bank. When I was there, it were three, there were three female judges. 
now there are four, I think. The last one with whom I had, uh, with her, I didn't have any interview or any interference. I don't know her, but the three months at that time, I always saw them and I visited them and I interviewed them. Now, after the Sharia establishment, we have, of course, civil society and a very strong civil society in Palestine. You might know that, of course, uh, the AU and also the USA, at least in the past, gave a lot of money to Palestine to build up the society. And this is how many civil society uh, organizations, NGOs, popped up, like uh, this one, which is quite, quite a famous one. It's Women's Center for Legal Aid and Counseling. Okay, before I come to the two phases, very quickly, something about Palestine. Now, according to the Basic Law of 2003, uh, legislation takes part in the parliament, of course. In urgent cases, the president can give decrees, but he only does this very reluctantly in, with regard to family law. So there are not many decree laws by uh, Abbas we can find. The parliament in Ramallah is not working since 2006, since the split between Fatah and Hamas. You see it here above, nothing, the doors are closed. But the parliament in, in Gaza City is working. It's under Hamas control, of course. Now, again, these two parliaments should give legislation with regard to family law. And we don't have a Palestinian family law so far. As I explained, uh, the old Jordanian version is still applicable in the West Bank. In Gaza, it's an old Egyptian version of the law. But the ruling that was given was given by uh, the Qadi al-Qudad, the supreme judge, and he has the rank of a minister, but of course he's not a lawgiver. So it's quite strange to see him that he gives, creates a ruling which then is implemented in the Sharia courts, which are of course part of the Palestinian legal system, but it hasn't passed in uh, the, the parliament, of course, at all. Now, I'd like to come to the first uh, phase we have, um, which I mentioned, uh, the phase one from 2012 to 2014. Actually, I, uh, Mahmoud Habash uh, comes in only later after 2014. Perhaps I should have left only the picture of uh, Yusuf Is here. And this is the ta'amim, this is the ruling which he gave. Actually, this is only the first page. It's the letter he sent to his Sharia judges, to the judges of his Sharia courts, which he uh, supervises. And then the, the whole ruling, uh, try to find it. It's not uh, so far in uh, in the internet of the Diwan Qadil Qudad. I received it during a lecture in Visage University. Okay, something more about Khul very shortly. Khul means, of course, taking off clothes. It refers to Quran 2, 187. They are vestment for you and you are vestment for them. But the word Khul, Qala'a, doesn't uh, occur in the Quran. In classical Islamic law, the man has the right to repudiate the woman whenever, wherever he wants. And this is the way it is today in Palestine too. He doesn't need a court decision. But women can get divorced only through court, as you, of course, know all. And then she has to have certain reasons. He doesn't pay the money to her or the maintenance to her or something like this. And Khul in the classical form worked for a woman to redeem herself by paying back her dower, mostly her dower, not always, but only when both agree. So in the end of the day, the husband decides again. And of course, for him, it's uh, much cheaper than Talak because he gets the dower back. 
So this is the regulation we, we also find uh, in the Jordanian personal status law, which is applicable in, uh, of 1976 in Articles 102 to 112. There was, uh, as you all might uh, know, uh, a reform law in uh, 2000 in Egypt, in which Hull was given the right to Hull was given to the women also against the husband's wish, but uh, before and after the start of the marriage. But in Palestine, it's only before consummation of the marriage in 2012, as I said. Again, in fact, uh, what the Supreme Judge did is a reform of the GPSL, the Jordanian Personal Status Law, a new ruling, and uh, he could even be called perhaps a legislator. Now, the next part is taken from the lesson which the Qadi al gave, in which, I, in which I was present. It was highly interesting because it was his baby, Khul. And he tried to uh, convince the students that this was a very good solution for a very hard and uh, pressing social problem. So he said in his lecture, I quote, Islam gave the husband the right to unilaterally repudiate his wife, and obliged him to pay. And so the Islamic Sharia gave the wife the right to connected with payment, end of quote. And then he said, this can be called equality between man and woman, end of quote, Musaba. He called it like this, Musaba. And of course, I mean, you can discuss this very much. She still has to go to court. The husband does not have to go to court and so on and so forth. It's not really equality, but that's the way he called it. Then he reported uh, and told the students how he tried to, to present his solution to the people in the street, as he called it. And he said he was asked in his interviews, Sheikh, do you want us to, believe, uh, to be called divorced, Mahloh? In, in the passive voice. So it was really to talk about active and passive because men are active and women are of course passive and to call a man divorced is something which was not acceptable. I heard this very often. This is of course the judge's perspective, how he explained his, his experience and how he explained uh, how he implemented uh, the law. He was very eager to show that he discussed with the people and tried to convince them and this is true because it lasted um, three quarters of a year, nine months or even more until it could be implemented. And there were many reports uh, on the topic in the media. But yes, this passive active thing also was very openly and often discussed, not only from uh, by women, and by women lawyers or judges, but also by men. Then in the media, this was the whole thing, that means the new ruling was called an attack on our, that means the man's, of course, honor. And the Supreme Judge said, why should it be an attack on your honor? It's a nice and a good word. But he and his colleagues gave in, at least he, this is his presentation, they gave in and they called it claim of redemption, iftida. Because now this word, iftida, at least in the verbal form, is in Quran 2, 229. We have here the underlined, if you fear they may not maintain God's bounds, it is no fault in them for her to redeem herself. So here you have to ifti that uh, the work of it. And so he continued, thus we made it easier for the Palestinian man to accept this solution. The women's organization were behind him, they stood behind him in this thing. Some of them wanted the Egyptian solution, but anyway, it was okay. And of course, he also succeeded in bringing the Sharia establishment behind him. So again, uh, the debate was a debate on, on words. And I use for this also Koselik's Begriffsgeschichte. Hol is, a, as Koselik would say, a traditional term in classical law, a woman's redemption for money and husband agrees. 
In Palestine 2012, uh, in the ruling, it was something new. It was called against the husband's will, but still before consummation of marriage. The man protested. It was changed to either iftida or judicial khole, qada'i. Actually, in the, in the later text, he called it iftida, but in the ta'mim itself, it's could, uh, called khole qada'i. And all this, as we learned before, was musaba, according to him. It was equality. And this is quite important because this term equality is also used in Sidao for gender equality. So we come now to the second phase, international law, Sidao, Musawa, equality, between uh, roughly 2014 and 18. And here it was debated how could, how could international law be harmonized with national legislation in Palestine. Not an easy thing, as you have this very old legislation from 1976, as I said. But anyway, in 2014, President Abbas signed international conventions and also the Women's Convention without reservation. This, without any reservation. This is very strange for an Arab country. Normally they have, or for a Muslim country, they all have reservations, either saying generally the Sharia is a reservation or in detail. So Palestine signed with, or at least Abbas signed without any, any reservation. The Supreme Constitutional Court issued a judgment in November 2017. And in this judgment, it ruled international treaties stand above national legislation. So what follows so far as they are in harmony with the national religious and cultural identity, Hoviya, of the Arabic Palestinian people. This is a sentence which again steered up quite a lot of discussion among Palestinian jurists. But uh, at first, it seems to say that uh, the Supreme Constitutional Court sees international law above national law. Here again, the CEDAW, Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women. This is, of course, the English uh, translation. And here you have in uh, A, to embody the principle of the equality, Musaba, of men and women in their national constitutions or other appropriate legislation and so on. So Musaba is in, in the text. And uh, as you might know, the UN, one of the official UN languages is Arabic. So uh, the Arabic text um, by the UN had uh, contained this word Musaba for gender equality, what in, in the English version becomes gender equality. So what happened now? In 2018, the Palestinian delegation had to travel to Geneva. In 2014, it was signed. In 2018, it, uh, the delegation traveled to Geneva to submit the first report on CEDAW. You have to submit in regular um, times reports of uh, explaining to CEDAW how you applied the rulings of CEDAW. How was now equality introduced into the Palestinian legis uh, legislation? Nothing much had happened, actually. But in Palestine, in this time, iteration started about the impossibility of harmonizing international law and outdated national family legislation. Women's organizations like Reclac, I showed it before, argue, of course, in favor of international law and especially CEDAW, and they demanded reforms, and they submitted also shadow reports to the, to the CEDAW committee. Now, still nothing happened. My hypothesis, is, and I can come to explain it later, that Musawa, the word for equality, could have been the starting point for really translating the global into the local, that means international law, into the national law, if it would have been discussed in detail. So how could 
Musawa look like in the Palestinian context? It wouldn't, for example, extinguish uh, polygamy for the moment because it's a very deeply rooted institution in a Palestinian society, as in m most other Arabic societies. But it could have started with things like um, the marriage age, raising the marriage age to 18 or something like this. But so far, we don't have draft law on the table and, of course, no law. In this time, the, a series of reports in Wakam, this is a um, news agency, was published between June 21st and June 30, uh, 2018. And the title was Palestine discusses interpretations of the Sharia, which can be harmonized with Zidao. And the split between the scholars of religions and politicians becomes wider end of course. So it's exactly the topic which needs to be discussed to translate from international law to national law, the uh, gender equality. Discussion focused not so much on terms, but more on general things like the basic law and the role of the Sharia. Mahmoud Al-Habash, whom we met before, said, I quote, we are ready to harmonize the law with international law under the condition that the principles of Sharia are not violated, end of quote. The sentence you can hear very often and not only in Palestine. And then he argued that according to the basic law, Sharia is the, I quote, the principal source of legislation, al-Mastar al-Assasi. You might know that there's a big discussion about the or a principal sources in some of the basic laws in the Arab world. In Palestine, the Qadil Qurat, Mahmoud Habash, didn't quote it exactly because it's not the, it's a principle. So you have other sources. This is why Iwadala, Ministry of Foreign Affairs, said Shari is one of the foundations also of the Palestinian laws. And he, he said, I quote, our law is not Sharia, but Sharia is one of the sources, Ehta al-Masadir, end of quote. And Isam Abdin from the NGO Al-Haq said, the constitution is clear about the quote, principles, Mabadi, of the Islamic Sharia, end of quote, and not the rules, Ahkam. And he added, there's a big difference between principles and rules. So heated discussion about uh, how to interpret the basic law, uh, but no solutions for so far how to apply it. It was in this moment when there was a discussion in the public and when there was also a fighting because, I mean, uh, Palestine had signed Sidao, or at least Abbas had signed it, and wanted to be taken into, uh, to play a role in, in, in international law, to be accepted in the international group of countries who signed Sidao and so on and so forth. And so they have to really apply it. But in this moment, when there was a, this discussion, Mahmoud Al-Habash gave an interview, this was in December 2018, stating that according to Quran 4, a 34, light hitting of women for educational purpose is acceptable. Of course, you know all this, men stand above women, and then hit them. Um, I argue in my book that this can be seen as a conscious provocation because it ended the debate in this moment. The whole debate of how to harmonize national and international law came to a stop. And until today, we have no draft of a Palestinian family law on the table. The Supreme Judge avoided a discussion of the term Musawa. He didn't go into details. He didn't even say, okay, we could perhaps start, as I said before, with the marriage age of 18 or something else. But uh, no, uh, he just uh, stopped the discussion. And the women's societies and the NGOs were upset. They even wanted to, to try to get him out of, of the journals and of the TV so he couldn't argue like this anymore. 
because they said we have argued so long that uh, hitting of a woman is, is forbidden and especially killing of women. Uh, Palestine has also an um, honor killing or femicide problem and we shouldn't discuss this again. There is also draft law, not on the table, but it's there, which is dealing with uh, violence in family. Anyway, no further discussion. So my conclusion is language matters in iterations, but Going one step further, I argue that iterations can only become jurisgenerative if new terminology, for example, if DIDA, is developed and accepted in the public sphere. So after the men uh, accepted that uh, it's if DIDA, and uh, this is a word even rooted in the Quran, it could be a, a new form of khul could be applied. Otherwise, yes, I, a ruling cannot become law, a de facto law. I mean, I call this ta'amim, this ruling a de facto law. Sharia establishment in West Bank is very powerful. It's a powerful player. And in phase one, the Sharia establishment succeeded in implementing a new ruling. The Adil Qadat Yusuf Is did really implement it. But in phase two, the Sharia establishment, this time Mahmoud Habash, stopped the iteration process about the question of how to harmonize international law on Sharia. And here we are. Yes, uh, I'm at the end of my presentation. Thank you for listening. And I'm, of course, waiting for questions. Thank you very much, Professor Schneider. That's a, it's a fascinating look at these important issues that are going, have been going on in Palestine, but are, are of course important all across the region. And I guess it raises a number of just really interesting questions. And I know that I'm certainly looking forward to reading the book and I'm sure that a lot of other people are as well. So thank you so much for giving us your time and allowing us to hear about your work today. Thank, thank you very you. much for inviting me and uh, discussing with me. This is uh, it was a pleasure. And, and thanks, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you to our audience, and we'll hope to see you next term. Goodbye.